Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 3 to one go with Cosmo Macero, a roundtable discussion featuring members of the O'Neill & Associates team talking LinkedIn and their growing LinkedIn newsroom. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom's talking election day. First up, 3 to one go Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we'll take a look at some very high-profile rebranding initiatives by two of the world's most recognizable brands. And it's the holiday season and time for the Faneuil Hall tree lighting in Boston, as well as the annual Blink Holiday Light Festival. We'll take a look. Finally. The severely troubled company WeWork gets a bailout from its biggest investor. But will the biggest name in office supplies become the final nail in the coffin with its own co-working offering? We'll discuss. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on Air. Kyan, the holiday se- well the holiday season begins with Halloween in my opinion. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not a Halloween girl. I'm not a New Year's Eve guy. I mean, I think New Year's Eve is also a little overplayed, but Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think people could. I agree that people sort of generally consider the holiday season Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then like New Year's is like whatever. I actually, good ten years now, we've been treating Halloween as the beginning of the holiday season. I'm okay with that. I usually use my birthday as a marker. My birthday's in a few weeks. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Mine is too. I kick off my birthday and go straight into November Christmas. or December. November. Yeah. Nice. November 26th, for anyone that wants to send me presents. December 11th. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, uh, not a lot of brands more recognizable than Facebook and Microsoft, but in, in this case, both are undergoing uh, different rebranding initiatives with the case of Microsoft, one of its signature uh, products, the Internet Explorer um, browser, uh, and then Facebook, just the whole platform, sort of, is undergoing um, uh, a rebranding. Let's start with Facebook um, because there was a lot of hoopla around the the big new logo, which has got all caps and it looks very dun, different. Dun, dun. Um, yeah. and, 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 and tell me, tell me what you think about it. But it, but ultimately, the iconic F yes. so far is is still there. The F on your phone, the logo that most people, I think, access Facebook through, has yet to change. I don't know if that plans on changing. Maybe it will, but yeah, it hasn't. Maybe. Um, but Facebook, in all caps, I just kind of feel like I'm being yelled at <clears throat> a little bit. Yes. And, um, you know, the difference in these two companies, <laughs> rebranding and doing a sort of refresh, uh, the Microsoft rebrand happens every once in a while they've been rebranding every few years since the beginning it's it, it's part of their culture they it is brand, you know what's kind of interesting new tools and when i when i noticed when i learned that the explorer logo has really evolved multiple times i, I didn't really ever realize it that forgot. much i think that's probably a good thing you probably because don't want to be like oh it's a whole new look for explorer you know, it's it's an evolution. Yeah, they as they evolve and as they grow and introduce new tools and um, they rebrand. That's great. 
Facebook is doing it because they're sort of saying, like, we're in some trouble. What can we do? Feels a little empty. Uh, the problem with Facebook yeah, is... Yeah, sh- like shiny object over <laughs> here. Yeah, it's sparkling. It's not even sparkling. Maybe it should. Maybe it should sparkle. Um, it's Facebook needs to pay attention to what people are caring about with their platform. And people don't care whether it's all caps or what the font is. Um, they're struggling with the news, fake news, false ads. Sure, they've got um, a lot of troubles in terms of... Things that are so separate from whether the F is an uppercase or lowercase. You know, know, one thing Facebook started to do within the last year is commercials to sort of the idea to get back to what Facebook is all about. Um, And they show people connecting and and talking and families. I I thought those were amazing. I think they're incredibly effective. It Um, it shows that... Stick with that and forget changing your logo. Yeah, whatever... whatever, um, you know, um, niche interest you may have. The dads, like, taking their, their kids to the baseball games. Like, it's such a cute commercial. Yeah. It's such there, a great idea. There's enough critical mass that you'll find other people on Facebook doing I think I think you're right. I, I agree. Those ads are terrific. Um, you know, one thing, when you're, when you're using the fa- Facebook platform, you're not really overwhelmed by the logo or the branding no. at all. Not I mean, you, the experience, and I, I, my beef with Facebook is it's, it's so busy, it's, and it's distracting. It's probably by design to, to, to get you moving around and, and keeping you on the, on the, uh, um, on the platform. Um, but, yeah, you're not overwhelmed by the brand, and, and, and I don't know if they're going to change that. I think this comes back to the idea of when, again, we've, we've said this before. We talk to clients in crisis communication situations or in issues where they need to rebrand, restructure, kind of take a step back. The first thing we always say is do the right thing. And the rest will sort of not fall into place, but kind of fall into place a little bit. In this case, they're not exactly doing the right thing. They're just hoping that if they change the outside, that you'll kind of forget. And that's short-sighted, uh, in my opinion. I mean, and it's possible. It's plausible that underwhelming. They, they had an entire rebranding strategy planned for this time. It just Maybe. It doesn't look that way. I would recommend that they probably delay it Yeah, <laughs> if that was the case. Um, you know, it just, it feels yeah, a little Yeah, because what's going to happen is you're going to tie the rebranding and the history of Facebook to the scrutiny they're under right now. Well, oh, yeah, then they have to change their logo. You've got all these people saying they changed their logo, but. That's so you're right. just perpetuating the negative story. Yeah. All right. Not the best call in my opinion. Yeah, good lesson there for Microsoft. You know, the brand gets updated over time, but. It doesn't get too much attention. It's just reinforcing or supporting. It's just to roll out a reason to talk about what they're doing and, yeah. you know, upgrades and improvements. And that's always a good thing. Yeah. All right, Kyan. All right, Kyan. Let's talk about holiday tree lightings. Yes, please. One in particular Coming up December 3rd at Faneuil Hall, it kicks off the exciting Blink season. Tell us about it. So the tree arrived this past Monday, November 4th, the holiday uh, the holiday tree for Faneuil Hall Marketplace. It Not is a, from Nova Scotia. That's the other tree. That's another tree. This is a Norway spruce Ooh. making its way from upstate New York. Um, it is apparently the tallest tree lighting. Uh, that will be taking place on December 3rd. That is Tuesday, December 3rd. The Blink kickoff for anyone that is not aware. The tree lights it's up the to music. tallest tree lighting. That's what it it's says. It's not the lighting of the tallest <laughs> tree. It's the tall. I'm not quibbling with this. I just find, uh, 
I'm, you are quibbling. The city of Boston's <laughs> going to let Faneuil Hall just get right in there and take that mantle it's away from It's a pretty spectacular tree. It and is. If, and, and Blink if, is the most unbelievable thing. It's it is like, the it's, coolest thing. It, it's like water fire, but better. To anyone who doesn't know for some reason, make your way in. Come watch. The tree lights up to the music that is playing. So the colors change as the music changes. Incredibly exciting. And it's pretty enthralling. Like, you can stand there and stare at that tree for a while. Oh, yeah. And I will say I took my son last year to the Blink kickoff. Uh, it's you know, There's a choir and there's live music and Patriots players and the governor comes and the mayor comes. It's just really exciting. Well, that was last year, but it's a really fun night, um, and it gets you into the Christmas spirit. My son, about a month ago, asked me already about this year's tree lighting at Fanning Hall. He's that excited about it. Yeah. So the tree is here. Go visit it. And the lighting is December 3rd. And the, the kickoff lighting is Tuesday, December 3rd at Faneuil Hall in the evening. All right. Can't wait. Come. Blink. All right, Kyan, let's talk about co-working. Specifically, WeWork. Well, let's start with WeWork. There's a company in, in, in big, big trouble. Adam, Losing a lot of money. No, Adam Newman, the former CEO, former as in he had to resign, I think, in September. Maybe one of the most hated people in corporate America. Um, uh, they've been in business almost t- for, for over 10 years, a, a dozen years, I think. But tremendous expansion, huge investment by SoftBank, uh, also a major investor, Japanese uh, company, uh, also a major investor in Uber. The the, the they get a bailout for like four point six billion dollars, but but the the number two guy at uh, SoftBank says basically this was a mistake. This company is terrible. I'm I'm sorry. They own eighty percent of the company. Um, that is not a good sign. Their 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 models become too expensive. The the former CEO was more interested in making money for himself apparently and having a certain lifestyle and and talked about how he's saving the world. It's like, buddy, it, it, it's office space. You're not saving the world. Um, and by the way, you're not you're also not making money. Um, landlords, landlords who've, who've, who 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 have um, made deals with WeWork. They're one of the biggest. They are the biggest. It's unbelievable. This company is the biggest. Um, uh, lessee of office space in New York City and other major cities, and 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 they can't make money. They can't turn a profit. Large de- uh, office building developers and, and property owners and real estate trusts are saying, "Yeah, we'll just continue to lease space directly um, to our businesses, businesses to our yeah. clients, and 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 move on from this little experiment because they've been experimenting." Um, and this company's in real trouble. Maybe one too many nap pods and K-cup pods. I don't know. The uh, it, There's a lot of bells and whistles at WeWork Spaces. If anyone hasn't been to them, it's not just a standard office. My guess is maybe they got a little too ambitious out the gate. Um, I'm not a business major, so I can, can't really project on that. But if you go there, it's not a standard office. I mean, they have you know uh, games and uh, full st- fully stocked kitchens and very high-end things yoga rooms and nap rooms and you know um a lot of extras that i would argue is uh, probably <laughs> hasn't helped their bottom line um no and now they're a company that was once looked at as sort of the future of offices and how people work and create together and now they're in a you know not so good 
place anymore. And their brand has taken a substantial hit. And it, then in comes Staples saying, wait just a second. Staples Studio. I'm glad we'll you mentioned that. Look, co-working is a thing that exists and I think is going to continue to exist because yeah. it serves an important purpose. It's a great concept. I think the WeWork concept, though, like it, the idea, as I've read, not really observed firsthand, but as I've read, um, the idea was to we're, – we're selling you a corporate culture too, right? You're a little startup. You, want, you, you don't just get the space to work and the resources and the – um, Wi-Fi and the printer and the coffee and the and, and such, you get a little culture. Well, you know what? I, I'm not sure that that's what startups really are looking for. They're looking for a, a, a place to exist, and then and then hopefully for develop not a lot of money. Hopefully develop their own for not a lot of money. Yeah. Hopefully develop their own corporate culture as they grow, and I think that's probably going to be the sweet spot. And um, I've been walking around the office this week saying, "Is Staples going to be the thing that, that that kills WeWork?" The reason I say that is, well. Along comes, you know, a trustworthy sort of reliable brand, and and, and yeah, the, the shine is off of Staples, I think, because um, I think people think of it as sort of an old economy kind of business. Mm-hmm. Still a major supplier of office uh, products, um, and they've got all their own real estate deals under control, and they're like, we could do this way better than anybody. Um, they've to your point, they have this brick and mortar space, right? That they don't necessarily need as much of anymore, would yeah. be my guess, because so much has gone online, and so many companies are to use a term that you like have are figuring out how to adapt and overcome, yeah. so to speak, <laughs> and <clears throat> figure out how do you survive when the business model for your industry has changed. I think that's what Staples is doing, and you know. Further, like one step beyond that is so many companies are struggling today because it's no longer enough to be good at what you're good at. Like you have to be good at something else too. Yeah. And this is, I think, a really smart way to say we've got this space. um, We've got all of the office supplies that are needed. And how how do we use it in a way that makes money and is beneficial and keeps us relevant? Um seems like a really good solution it does i if you look at the and 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 this is not like a no frills option Uh, staples is offering these these amenities these office amenities and it's 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 kind of the stuff that you're like yeah that's make that makes sense um yes they've got a stock kitchen with free with free coffee tea and snacks fine you have to you have to but but the the idea of, of of an office culture I don't really think is where you're gonna is where you're gonna get the customer. TSA pre-application program, five hundred, boom, you sign up for a membership. Here's five hundred business cards. That's a smart thing, right? Yeah, that's access great. to any Staples Studio anywhere, no extra charge. That's Wi-Fi, unlimited meeting room use, unlimited black and white printing. That's free printing, you know, um, and then free parking in most locations. And again, that's we work. You're not getting that because these are in these downtown locations. Yeah. So I think this is designed, you know, it, it, it could be a category killer or, or a killer for WeWork. That's really my speculation. But I feel like people who are looking for, for and, and, the, and the, the, the basic mom, uh, monthly membership fee is like two nine, it'll be two ninety nine. If you're starting a project, starting a company, just getting going, you know what? I can make that my workplace for two ninety nine a month and get everything I need. And I, I don't have to have the fun 
uh, you know, uh, company culture that, that I'm paying extra for. Yeah. No, no need for a ping pong table when you've got free printing, maybe. Maybe, maybe we've forgotten what's really important. I would absolutely people. swap a foosball <laughs> table and take free printing. But it's also just, I'm going to tie this back before we wrap up to the idea of Facebook being sort of an empty brand rebranding and what we tell clients all the time. Like, if you do the right thing, it kind of, you know, will help. This isn't a company that's in trouble because of uh, a crisis or something bad that they've done. They're in trouble because the industry is changing and the way people do business is changing. And they're saying, we're not just going to get a new logo. We're not just going to, you know, do something kind of trendy and sparkly to attract attention. We're going to alter our business and we're going to change and make advances and hope that people come along for that ride. I I think that's great. That's a great observation. Well, that's, called, that's called bringing it full circle. I try every now and again. Tie it right back to the <laughs> beginning. All right, Cayenne, thanks a lot. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in downtown Boston, right near Government Center. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, our roundtable on LinkedIn featuring Cosmo Macero, Jamie Dunbar, Shakir Gregory, and me. I'm Shakir Gregory, uh, Director of Digital Strategy here at O'Neill & Associates. And um, for our main segment, I am here with Cosmo Macero, Jamie Dunbar, and Kyan Isaacson. We're going to have a roundtable discussion about a recent article that um, I think presented a fascinating case. Um, Recently, LinkedIn uh, hired a newsroom of over 65 journalists uh, in an attempt to better curate content that LinkedIn users and professionals would want to read to keep people on the platform. Um, And their entire approach to running a newsroom is similar, but I'd say different in key ways than most earned media outlets. So we put together a bit of a panel here so we can talk about the implications for PR. so first of all, anything yeah. that's employing journalists in large numbers is a good thing, mm. right? These days, yeah. with the st- in, my, in my opinion, with the state of journalism the way it is and the challenging uh, uh, environment, uh, if organizations are employing journalists right off the bat, I'm going to probably like that initiative. Mm. Definitely agree. I think one interesting tidbit from um, from the article that we're discussing was the way that the journalists felt that LinkedIn provided them something that traditional outlets didn't, where they got to hear feedback and see who was reading their articles and the, pu- the stuff that they were putting out more than they ever had before. And in a way, kind of the blend of LinkedIn as the platform um, for the journalists creating this content, I thought was really fascinating and really helped them um, write better stories for the people who read their stories the most. I mean, from a PR perspective, uh, I feel like platforms such as LinkedIn and Medium offer just tremendous opportunities, um, not just from a PR perspective, from a content perspective, mm. tremendous opportunities um, for, for all kinds of, uh, of people, of organizations, writers, um, uh, to, to, to have an opportunity to, to be very dynamic in creating content and, and, and finding an audience in ways that you really couldn't mm-hmm. uh, um, even even 10 years ago, even five years ago. And the idea that LinkedIn probably said, hey, you know, we've got all these people creating this content. Let's create a newsroom 
uh, and bring a traditional element to it and, and sort of set them loose on the platform. I think it's really cool. I think they've got a great sense of responsibility, too, with LinkedIn, uh, with this initiative, uh, given a, a time and era where so much social media is questionable as far as the source or what, what the underlying message is. And so having this uh, professionalized and, and being shared in the realm of sort of the, uh, the, the more business savvy and, and, and business centric uh, platform that LinkedIn is. Uh, it's really encouraging and I, I think a great benefit to uh, to folks in business uh, across every industry and sector to have this information warehoused and, and sort of being pumped out by LinkedIn themselves. I think they have a pretty specific advantage kind of leapfrogging off of that, um, that LinkedIn is that platform where you have pretty immediate access to specific uh, subject matter experts, um, and they mentioned that in the article that they, they really spend a lot of time cultivating the people um, who have the most experience on topics, which LinkedIn is pretty unique in platforms that it really enables you to connect to. So that newsroom is better off than just kind of finding a source on Twitter, I'd say. It's also a really big stark contrast between Facebook right now and the conversations we're having about, to your point, other social media platforms. Facebook has been very specific in saying, we are not a news site. We are not a news platform, mm -hmm. despite the fact that people have point to Facebook as the place where they get their news, be it real or fake. Um, and LinkedIn is saying, you know what, this is happening, and not only are we going to own it, but we're going to take it one step further and make it that responsible and use it in an exciting way. I really liked, they talk about reaching out to people on LinkedIn that they think could comment on stories. I and mean, that's just a great way to find interesting sources. And um, they're, they're taking it one step further in a time where social media platforms have to distinguish the role they're playing in our news and society. They're saying yes, and we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it really well. You know, year, years ago, LinkedIn seemed like it was getting maybe a little stale and it was static. And they've done a great job uh, evolving and now becoming more interactive, uh, more relevant. Um, I certainly have always uh, really, in, in our profession and what I do here at O'Neill & Associates, especially with relationship marketing, of introducing our clients to folks in various business sectors where they want to be profitable, um, uh, I've always used it to sort of find that individual. But this real back and forth now, and, and it's much more interactive, and, and they're being proactive, is really breathing life into LinkedIn, where I feel like uh, f you know, Facebook is a little bit on the, uh, maybe on the decline currently. Yeah. F from a user or reader engagement perspective, um, mm -hmm. and I think we're all familiar with this just, just from, from um, and, you know, uh, experiencing Facebook every day, but going way back 20 years ago, right, or in the very early stages, of, of um, user engagement, reader engagement online with newspapers when I was a journalist, I remember being like, wow, this is like the Wild West because the comments on your stories were just like crazy, right? Well, guess mm -hmm. what? That hasn't changed. I mean, the, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, you know, highly respected uh, news organizations, the comments on any given political story, it's like the lunch table at a reform school. It's like people are just saying the craziest things. But LinkedIn has built this conversation uh, the other way around, right? It mm -hmm. starts with the engagement, and it's a very um, uh, sort of reasoned and, uh, and, and interesting, uh, 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 respectful level of discourse, mm -hmm. at least in my experience, yeah. on stories. It, it, it's like people are behaving themselves. Why? Because, well, it's, LinkedIn is the business-to-business -business platform. I think yeah. it's a great place to to um to launch a new project uh involving journalists 
I, I wholeheartedly agree. And um, I remember back when LinkedIn started, um, I think that LinkedIn suffered, uh, as Jamie mentioned, from it uh, not retaining people because social media was kind of in, in its infancy. And for better or for worse, it was uh, the original kind of uh, idea of it was that it was fun. And LinkedIn was the least fun of the major platforms. But they curated that successfully into professionalism as a content policy. And from that, you know, you don't have people who are as like angry and strange as some of the people in the comments of the Boston Globe or the New York Times because LinkedIn users don't perform like that and, and don't act like that and they haven't for years. So from that, they're and, now and it's establishing- pro- it's probably because anonymity is taken out of the equation. That's, yeah, that's well, yeah. probably the answer. Yeah. Facebook, we know who you are on Facebook and yeah, it gets well, a little you're, crazy. You're right. No, you're it's right. true, yeah. you're right. Facebook, yeah. Yeah. there's no anonymity. But there's a difference right. between right being in, in your PJs at 2 a.m. and firing <laughs> off a missive uh, than when you're you know maybe Likely using LinkedIn yeah. during the nine to five hours where it's, there is a different mentality and expectation. And It's yeah. not only we know who you are, it's also we know who you work for. Yeah. So it's, I think the, the expectation is professionalism. And, you know, LinkedIn sees a great opportunity for that um, to create content that is more serious. And one thing that they said in the article that I, I always go back to is that we're not here to waste your time. We're here to give professionals the things that they need, whether it's connecting them to people or providing them information that's going to enable them to get to work, essentially. And I love that. And I think that, that that's why this, uh, this newsroom, um, particularly as it relates to content that is B2B focused, will be pretty successful. Well, and they're looking at it, too, as I think to your they said tools like we want this mm-hmm. to be a tool that you use in your work day not a place where you go i.e i think you know facebook that you kind of waste time exactly. so to speak um that they want it to be a valuable tool and he sort of he outlined that like i i hope they listen to the podcast and then come on and open linkedin when they open their computer in the morning and go to our news feed and read stories and then interact and connect with people mm-hmm. he's essentially built an entire day <clears throat> for a professional around utilizing LinkedIn in the various facets that they have put forward. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it is very different. I, I'm, I'm always trying to um, sort of accomplish a, sort of the same category of thing, a very important thing around sort of my professional life and, and, and uh, writing or, or, or sharing things that are of value that are serving some business goal. My relationship with Facebook is like, all over the place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like posting songs. I'm posting, you know, random comments. I'm I'm trolling my my Facebook friends. I'm putting photos <laughs> of my kids playing flag. It's I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like throw anything against the wall. Facebook is like the uh, town square of of everywhere, right? Um, and and there's a lot that's good about that. There's definitely a lot that that wastes. Time. people's time yeah uh i've i've always said about facebook it's kind of a cure for loneliness for for certain people mm. but i think it goes the other way around too and that it's you can just completely um overpopulate your life with other people's crap mm-hmm. that, that that doesn't add any value but you get sucked into like some uh, encounter that a guy had at starbucks and you spent seven minutes thinking about it what a waste of time that does never that never i always learn something of value even if it's someone's email address who i want to follow up with uh on linkedin and i want to end on um a strategic note kind of what why it would be important for for you know clients and from a a pr and to an extent um public affairs perspective i think from a digital marketer standpoint um 
I think what a lot of marketers are asking themselves, especially on Facebook, is how to, quote, break ahead. And like you said, you're competing with all sorts of every form of content on Facebook. And LinkedIn, um, again, specifically being a B2B platform where certain things are shared and certain things break ahead and, you you know, there's a different approach to what someone looks at their feed um, as, I think is a lot better strategically for that type of content, whether it's organic or an advertisement. So now that they're not only curating, you know, what their trending topics are, but they have this newsroom, I think it really blurs the line between earned and owned media for any particular brand, but in a really good way, where if you're sharing good stuff, they literally have people who are hired to elevate that. And I think that's really important for brands from a digital marketing perspective. And that is key, because will people start to go to LinkedIn, right? You hear, mm -hmm. you might catch a, a snippet of something on the street or, or on TV or a coworker says something, and you might go to Twitter or even Facebook to mm -hmm. try to see, is there any validation? And we also, <laughs> we know that Facebook's not the place Place to validate anything. So are pe folks going to start turning to LinkedIn as a trusted uh, source? As a trusted source, and and uh, and they should. Yeah. Um, and, and it'll be exciting to see if that becomes part of the the everyday culture. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Shakir. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. And now. Two minutes with Tom. <laughs> Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. How are you doing? It is Wednesday. Everything good? Um, everything's good. Two and a half minutes with Cayenne. Three and a half minutes with Tom. There you go. <laughs> I bet we're talking about yesterday's elections, huh? We did. We had an election. Not not every community throughout Massachusetts, no, no. but uh, a number of them, as well as national. Yeah. Well, big stuff were, happened. There were three or four states nationally. Mm -hmm. And, they and were, then, of course, the city. And the Boston. city of Boston had some had some elections as well. Low turnout. I think 16% of the of the available and allowable voters actually turned out in the city of Boston. Not altogether unsurprising. No, it's not. It's typical. It's, it's almost a historic number, to be very honest with you. I mean, it's... History repeats every other off-year election, not when the when the mayor is not on the ballot. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a slowdown. But uh, not too surprising was that we have um, a very diverse uh, group of, of folks coming on the city council, probably the most diverse in history. Mm -hmm. Citywide, we have at least three women, first Latina, um, and and um, one white male. Uh, the change in the city is getting reflected in the Boston City Council. There's no question about it. Which I think is exactly as it should be. Very healthy. It's exciting. Yep, it's very healthy, and it's it's good for the, you know, the broad loom of the city, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's pretty good. Nationally, and uh, just out of the 13 seats, we have to make a, I have to make a plug. As of January, yes. eight yep. will be women. Eight will be women. Eight out of 13 will be women. First time there will be a majority of women. On the city council, that's great. It's I great for it's, the ladies. <laughs> well, it's um, it's been the it's been the the last three years have been the last three years of the woman in American politics. And about we, time we've seen that, and uh, yeah, it is about time. Um, and, and I think uh, it's not only revolutionary; it, it is a reflection of where America is, wants to be, and will be for some period of time to come. Mm -hmm. um, and a reflection, I think, of what's going on across the country. It may be more liberal here. It may be more progressive in the northeast and on the in the in the eastern seaboard as well as the west western seaboard. But you know, it's it's catching up. The interior of America is catching up with the with the seaboards as well. What we saw last night, 
whether we're talking about Texas, Mississippi, or Virginia, um, was was a, was a greater diversity going out and voting for the first time, more minorities voting, certainly. But what we really saw was that the urban Democrat has had suburban straw, a sprawl and catching up with, with the rural parts of states. And it consequently forced a change in the governorship from Republican to Democratic in the state of Kentucky. Um, it, was, it was something to really see a state where two years ago, uh, or three years ago, Donald Trump won by 27 points. So to have, big, a Democrat, huh? to have a Democrat win in that state three years after the fact is really not only a reflection on that race, but the party and where people want that party to go and how, and, and how progressivism is kind of uh, spreading throughout the suburban parts of, of all of America. Uh, we saw that in Mississippi as well. We didn't see a switchover from Republican to Democrat, but it was far closer than it ever had been, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in the last three years between the two parties. And in the state of Vermont, uh, uh, Virginia, excuse me, you know, we saw it go from being a, a red state or a purple state to a blue state. The state legislature, both House and Senate, went Democratic for the first time in 20 years. Yeah, um, all of so Virginia's government is, is blue now. That's right. So we're seeing a change. We're seeing a change across America. And is it um, an indicator of what's to come next year in the presidential election, in the, in the congressional elections? Yes, to some extent it is. Mm-hmm. But it will be determined by who the candidates are running for president, and it will be determined by the caliber of candidate we have running for the U.S. Senate as well as for the House the U.S. House, and uh, it, it, but it's a precursor. There's no question about that. So while it was, there's an element of excitement, I think, for, for some of these areas, despite it not being a huge election day nationwide in a lot of communities, but some interesting, maybe not exciting, but interesting things happened. I think, I think that you really have to look at the candidates running for these offices. If you're, if you're, if you're a blue dog Democrat, you're happy with what took place yesterday, yes. Mm-hmm. But as you get in and scrutinize the races, it, it really was dependent on the caliber of candidate which was fielded running for governor and, and running yeah. for the legislative seats in Virginia. It's, uh, that was pretty indicative. So you've got to have good candidates no matter where you are. I think that's always a good starting point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. Good to talk to you. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Now, don't forget to subscribe on whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.